And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. That is hammered. Oh, my. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far out of have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it! You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby, Andy McCullough, and Mark Carrig on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 32 of The Roundtable. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy McCullough. Mark Craig is on assignment again, so it's going to be less of a roundtable, more of a big, long Batman table where we're just going to talk at each other, with each other. Andy, how are you doing today? Welcome to the two-top, Grant. The two-top. How are you, like, how's the jet lag work with daylight saving time? Uh, well, I, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, I'm in New York. I'm heading to Las Vegas tomorrow for the GM meetings. So I'll be there a couple days. I was able to get home last night from Houston, uh, just in time to like definitely come down with some sort of illness. Uh, so if I sound extra sultry today, um, it is not because I'm trying to seduce the listener, but because my sinuses are, uh, are, uh, are packed. Uh, I don't have COVID, which is good. You know, always a concern. Uh, I'm just sick. So just in time to go shake hands with all the GMs and, you know, just infect everybody, baby. Yeah, that, that's that's the plan. That is uh, that's good stuff. Does it like the press box in the World Series? Are you you? I'm assuming you're a you're a fancy lad. You're in the big boy press box, not the auxiliary press box. Is it kind of crack uh, uh, crowded in there? That's funny you should ask that. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it is crowded. The Houston press box uh, can be fired into the sun. It is way too small. Um, it is the only thing I dislike about the experience covering the Astros. To be honest, the Astros are. The ballpark is located downtown. It's got a roof. You can stay within walking distance. There's decent food downtown outside of the downtown area. Houston's an excellent culinary city, but like in a pinch, you can go to Mendocino Farms and get a salad, uh, which is nice. But the press box is way too cramped. Philadelphia is the best city in America. Huge box. No issues. Everyone (laughs) had a seat. It was wonderful. So, uh, yeah, from from that perspective, it was it was a good time. Yeah, I mean, we should talk about the actual baseball in the World Series. No, but, uh, that doesn't lots of people me. are talking about the baseball. No one is talking about uh, the ice cream at the Citizens Bank Park. See, well, I when I think about Houston, I think about uh, the fried avocado tacos out by center field, <laughs> which is what Torchies. I think Torchies tacos. I believe Torchies has been replaced by a Shake Shack. Actually, what? Yeah, I think so. I didn't go out there this year. That's abominable. I believe it's a Shake Shack now. I could be uh, wrong. 
All right, Philly in six, then. I'm changing my World yeah. Series prediction. <laughs> Phillies are going to win this one in nine, I think. All right, so give me your thoughts, your uh, your bird's eye view of this World Series. I, for one, enjoyed it. I thought it was a yeah. good match of uh, talented teams in very specific ways. The Astros, I think, were more talented. The Phillies were more fun. They were better. Uh, I don't know. They're a bunch of goofballs. So give me your thoughts on what you watched. Yeah, I mean, I think the Astros, as I, I wrote this the other day, they're the best team. They were the best team in baseball this year, you know, from start to finish, soup to nuts, all that sort of stuff. They did certain things really, really well. Uh, specifically, their run prevention was as, I mean, that was as tough a group of pitchers to hit against as I think I've seen in recent memory. I mean, like when your quote unquote weak links are Justin Verlander and Lance McCullers Jr., like you're in some good shape. Christian Javier might throw the best pitch in baseball. Just his fastball is just such a such a weapon. Framber Valdez is, you know, came into his own really as a, you know, a frontline starter uh, this postseason. The bullpen that they have is just ridiculous. And bullpens are like ephemeral things, right? Like they really are a year-to-year proposition, so it's kind of hard to bet on them. And, you know, there are times when, like, you know, Rafael Montero had a had kind of a rough one in Game 5, and you're like, yeah, it's Rafael Montero. Like, wasn't that the guy who, <laughs> like, stunk with the Mets, like, back in the day? But that's how bullpens work is that, you know, you kind of have to catch lightning in a bottle, and they were really able to do that. You know, Presley, Ryan Presley, their closer is very good. That You know, Brian Abreu, they got good stuff out of Hector Neris. Montero, you know, despite me kind of making fun of him, was, was very, very good for them. They had Ryan Stanek, who, like, would close on a lot of teams who they didn't even want to use in high leverage. You know, so just pitching-wise, they were so dominant. And offensively, you know, Jeremy Pena had a star turn that, you know, really, really – carried their offense in a lot of ways, you know, kind of made up for Jose Altuve's quiet October, made the, you know, Carlos Correa, who's obviously a tremendous player, but made, you know, Correa seem like something of an afterthought. At the biggest moments during this postseason, you know, Jordan Alvarez just hit like titanic home runs. <laughs> I mean, you know, he started the postseason, right, with that huge bomb off Robbie Ray that sort of swung that series back towards uh, the Astros, and he ended the postseason with just like, that was a breathtaking display of power, <laughs> you know? Like when I think about the home runs that I from the postseason that I will have in my mind's eye forever, I mean – that's up there with the Rajai Davis bomb, with the the Juan Soto uh, bomb in twenty the twenty nineteen DS. I mean, just like an awe inspiring <laughs> display of power off Jose Alvarado. So Phillies were fun, really really fun to watch. Great club, did a lot of things well. Got got hot at the right time, but just ran into a better team, the best team in baseball. My favorite postseason home run that I've ever seen live was, I believe, was Carlos Correa, Game 5 of the 2017 uh, World Series, because it was that back-and-forth bananas game, but he hit it exactly where the fireworks went off, so it looked like he caused an explosion, so just (laughs) pure aesthetics, uh, that's my favorite. But uh, yeah, the point about the bullpen is no small thing, because we can sit here and say the Astros uh, were the best team, because they were. I mean, you don't just get a pitching staff like that because... Because you, oh, look what we found. At the same time, you're talking, I mean, Ryan Presley is a known quantity. But when you're talking about that bullpen, you're talking about Brian Abreu. Uh, what was his ERA last year? Five? Yeah, I have, I have no five idea. and a half? Yeah, I, I genuinely have no idea. 
like I get he's, <laughs> he's younger, uh, and so he's more like a prospect, so it, you don't expect his development to be totally linear. It's like a breakout season. But at the same time, you don't go into 2022 and say, look out, we've got Rafael Montero, we've got Hector Neres, we've got Brian Abreu. Like, what? They traded for Will Smith at the deadline, and they didn't even use him because yeah, they had all Yeah, I'm not even sure if guys. he was rostered, yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. And, you know, he was pretty good for them. He was. Uh, he, had a, he had a good strikeout-to-walk ratio. But, yeah, that's the postseason. As much as you can button it down and say, listen, this is a great defensive team, which it was. You, this is a great pitching staff, which it is. And you have enough power to make the other team better which they did it also comes down to whoo look what we got wow that's a surprise in the best possible way so I think they would have won anyway with a little bullpen uncertainty but it wouldn't have been quite as dominant yeah I mean it was a it was a six game series where the four games they won they really did dominate if that makes sense you know they they uh they threw a no hitter by the way uh there was a no hitter in there which i guess because it was a combined no hitter and because players strike out so much like the phillies i don't really think were like their confidence was broken or anything like that they just sort of you know didn't hit with runners in scoring position the next night they were like one hit away from you know potentially winning uh, uh that game in in game five but like you know Javier was their number four starter, which you can argue maybe he should have been number three starter, but whatever. Christian Javier is their number four starter, and he, like, throws a fastball that is close to unhittable, at least in this current iteration. I mean, I saw him face the Yankees and do the exact same thing uh, when he faced the, uh, when he faced the, uh, uh, you know, the, the Phillies. Like, they just, they had no answer for it. They were late or or popping up, basically, all of them. And, yeah, I mean, there was just so much pitching talent on that Astros team that it almost renders like Alex Bregman had a good postseason. Hey, Jeremy Pena, Jordan Alvarez hit those, you know, like it, you, it's almost like it renders the offense an afterthought and they were pretty good offense. Man, I meant to order a bell from Amazon that I can uh, ring whenever I bring up uh, one of our, our favorites. But I'm just going to go. I'm going to talk about the 2015 Royals real quick. You know, <laughs> bing. I just want to get your, your perspective. Wow, because you did it. Yeah, that? no, I did it. But, you know, when they come up, because that, we bring them up a lot for, you know, obvious reasons, but also because that, to me, is the gold standard of a bullpen that just wiped out the other team. You know, 2014, 2015, that's a bullpen that went in and got the Royals two pennants, one championship. And I want to know where you think on that rotation, where you've got uh, Volquez, Ventura, Guthrie, uh, I'm not sure, uh, Johnny Cueto, I guess, uh, when he was there. Would Jose Urquidy be like the best pitcher on the 2015 Royals? <laughs> no. But I mean, like the best starting, but where would he be in the toy? Because I get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the tw- look, the 2015 Royals. God, I can't believe I'm doing this. Their, <laughs> their starting rotation was better than people remember. Their starting rotation was better than people remember. Edison Volquez was a perfectly fine pitcher for five or six innings. Um, Jordano Ventura had a bit of an off year, but was still capable of really, you know, great performances. And, you know, Johnny Cueto, he had a, a rough time as a Royal in some ways. He got roughed up by the Blue Jays. But uh, in the clincher against the Astros and in game two against the Mets, he was nails, you know. And so their rotation was better than people remember. They were not just a bullpen. One of the reasons that 
their bullpen was so good is because Ned Yost would basically stick with his starters through the fifth or sixth innings, except for Chris Young. He would tend to take Chris Young out after two turns through. But for the other guys, he would kind of trust them to get six innings. So when you're only taking down nine outs a night as compared to 15 outs a night, the way modern bullpens are run, it allows you to reuse Kelvin Herrera, reuse Ryan Madsen, reuse Luke Hochaver, reuse, you know, obviously Wade Davis. So Jose Arquiti probably could have started <laughs> for the 2015 Royals. Same with Luis Garcia. Yeah, Ryan Stanek might have pitched in some leverage. Uh, so, yeah, it, the point you were making is that, like, if, if they let Justin Verlander leave this offseason, which, you know, we'll get to sort of a free agency primer in a little bit. If they let Justin Verlander leave, they will obviously be losing a, you know, a guy who had a great year, you know, Hall of Famer, blah, 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 blah. Will they skip a beat? Why would you bet against them? They have at least two guys who, you know, they feel like can probably replicate 85% of that. And that's the sort of, uh, you know, sort of arbitrage that, uh, you know, all fans hate people talking about. But these are the decisions that teams make. If, you know, James Click is the GM, which Lord knows he might, you know, be <laughs> be deposed today. We have no idea. So <laughs> that's another just <laughs> – just preposterous that it's unclear if James Click is going to be the GM of the team next year. Like, that is so ridiculous. I'm missing this part of the news cycle. Where is that coming from? Are you not familiar with the story, Grant? No. Like, James James Click and Dusty Baker do not have contracts for 2023, and Jim Crane refuses to say whether or not they will be back next year. He said that he will he will talk about their fate today at the parade. Hmm. Maybe if they win like the intergalactic series, they'll be back. Like it what sounds they... like Baker will almost certainly be back. You know, like Dusty gets the career achieve. You know, the one sort of box he needed to check uh, left in his career. Just a tremendous uh, baseball legacy. With Click, I, I don't know what what more you could ask for. He he inherited a really good situation in certain ways in terms of at least you know of talent and has won the pennant twice, made the ALCS three times, and won a World Series. Like, I'm not really sure you could ask for much more out of an executive given, uh, you know, but he, uh, it's unclear. You know, they might just, you know, Crane might have just wanted to let him twist in the wind, you know, to to motivate them or something. But it, it is somewhat preposterous that it's even an issue. <laughs> Listen, you've got a lot of baseball prospectus alumni out there. I mean, they can get you know, Craig Goldstein <laughs> in there. You, you can just you, pick. <laughs> I would I would rather have James Click than Craig Goldstein. I will say that on the record. You would rather have Click than Kronk? I mean, come on. All right. <laughs> than than Craig? Oh, uh, yeah, it is. Well, I didn't I didn't know this. I'm assuming it's just uh, one of those things like we'll talk with, talk about it when we talk about it. No, I don't really? think that's what it is. Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird thing, Grant. I, I will say, it, as a, uh, I'm not going to say I'm an expert, uh, as an amateur dustyologist uh, from my very beginning days, just as a baseball fan, he was the manager of the Giants when I really, really got in uh, deep to baseball. I do not recognize this Dusty Baker as far as uh, strategery, so to speak. Like, I just, he is a quiet in-game manager compared to what I am used to. And I think that's by design. I think, uh the synergy between uh, what he's doing in the front office 
is so much better than I thought it, it could have been when he was hired before the 2020 season. I knew that he was going to come and he's still going to manage with his gut a little bit. But he, the synthesis of what he's doing, it's still dusty. Like it's still, you can still like say, okay, that is him leaving Verlander in a little long because he's going with his gut, his horse. At the same time, everything else is just sort of seamless and the bullpen moves all make sense. I guess it helps when everyone coming out is throwing darts. But I do, I thought he did a fantastic job by a modern manager metric. And then you get to the, you know, everyone's going to eat glass for him because he's Dusty Baker. So great, great job, I think. Yeah, I mean, you won the World Series, right? So like, how do you, like, I think That's watching, one way to put it. watching him, there were certain games, specifically game one, where you're like, mm, you should probably be a little more, be a little more proactive here. Definitely in game three, where you're watching, you know, McCullers is struggling, and you know, it's interesting. You know, Dusty said something after game three where he's like, "No, I gotta, I gotta, you know, protect my bullpen. I gotta keep my bullpen ready." And everyone's kind of like, "You're ready for what? You're in the World Series." But then you watch the bullpen rested, ready, just devastate the Phillies over the next four games, and it's like, oh. Yeah, that's what he meant. That's he. Yeah, and 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 so there is a. Uh, it's a real, uh, you know, the the sort of urgency versus panic argument in the postseason is a very very fine line, and I think Dusty tends to lean more towards the calm rather than panic. And then the question is, okay, does that mean he is not being urgent? You know, is that mean he is not recognizing like, hey, you got to, you know, you got to win tonight. You can't really think about tomorrow. Like Rob Thompson very clearly managed as if like we need to win tonight and we'll figure out tomorrow, tomorrow. You know, the usage of Jose Alvarado and Sir Anthony Dominguez in the earlier rounds, um, you know, even in game one, the way he sort of managed, it's kind of like, hey, we got to figure out a way to get through this and then we'll sort out the rest of it. Dusty, I think, had the benefit of knowing he had the more talented team and being willing to trust in that talent uh, and not feeling like he had to wrench things out of joint, uh, so to speak, to to take any individual game. Had they lost this series, his managing probably would have been a, a real his tactical sort of work would have been a real, uh, uh, you know, source of discussion because they were, you know, you can look at one and three and you're like, dude, like go to your bullpen. You have so many good relievers, you know, or even just using, you know, someone like Luis Garcia in game one rather than Stanek in kind of that extra, you know, there's just, there's little quibbles here and there, but like by and large, he understood his roster. He understood the circumstances and he executed, you know, not flawlessly, but, but really well. And, you know, he's like a Hall of Fame manager for a reason, right? He's won everywhere he's gone for a reason. He, he gets the most out of players. He knows what he's doing in games. You know, he's a very intelligent, insightful sort of inspirational figure. I mean, the players love playing for him, you know? And so he 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 is exactly what his record says he is, which is one of the best of all time. Yeah, I would have some of those quibbles. I actually didn't mind him letting uh, McCullers twist a little bit, even though, you know, maybe he's tipping, maybe he's doing stuff like that. Uh, I just, because when it was, I think, four to nothing, the win expectancy was like 7%. And you have to start thinking about, okay, what happened, what is the, the value add here of, of using a reliever here when he, that might make him tired tomorrow? 
I, I had no problem with that. So I don't know. He, he it was, uh, it was. I'm not supposed to root for uh, people because I am a professional journalist, of course. It made me feel kind of good to see Dusty get his ring. I don't think it, you know. I, hey, let's ring the bell one time. Speaking of just you know the win expectancy, when to punt, when not to punt in a in a World Series game, you know I'm reminded of Game Three of the '17 World Series in Houston, where uh, you Darvish had a bad one for the Dodgers, but they were only down maybe like four runs, five runs, and in the later stages, you know Dave Roberts used Kenta Maeda and. Uh, Brandon Morrow in sort of leveragey situations, even though they were trailing. His argument, which I I think I you know I understood at the time, and I think as time goes on, I've I've moved away from this position. But his point was like, it's the World Series. I'm not punting a World Series game. Like this is the World Series. Like I am not giving up a single game within the World Series, and that is an argument that I think is really strong. However, it's you got to look at it over the scope of the seven games as well, and managing that is so difficult. You know, like having like Dusty's willingness to sort of just eat the slings and arrows or whatever in that specific game, understanding that there's a bigger picture. Like I, I can see it. I can see it both ways. It's you know. I'm curious also, what, what did you think about uh, uh, Thompson's decision to go to Alvarado to face Alvarez? See, that's the thing. And this gets back to the biggest uh, evolution of my baseball analysis, baseball thinking, is that when I was a, a, an old blogger uh, back in the day, bullpen decisions were very simple. You put in this guy because he's available, and why didn't you get this guy? And, well, this guy should have been pulled earlier. And then as you start talking to people and you start uh, you know, talking to the managers after the game off the record, it becomes an issue of the manager kind of knows. If he's a good manager, he knows that, yes, I can bring in this guy on a day's, on no rest because he's feeling good. I try, you know, I, I know when he tells me he feels good, he means it. He's synthesizing all this information and he knows, he knows that he's not supposed to touch this guy because, yeah, he pitched, he threw 30 pitches yesterday and his just, the snap won't be there. Just odds are, and we can look from the, from the back. So when Thompson's bringing in Alvarado, I'm assuming that it's not like, well, this is our guy, you know, he's been good all, you know, let's just cross our fingers, but he's got a sense of, no, this is our guy. He's going to be fresh. I've talked to him. I know, I know what he's got. Basically, I defer to the manager on almost every bullpen decision because I'm uh, intellectually lazy. Like I just, <laughs> you know, but it's seriously, it's, it's just, I'm assuming there's a reason for a lot of this. It's not necessarily the move I would have made because Alvarez doesn't seem phased by left-handers at all. I mean, statistically, he's a monster against him. And it's it's more, it's less about matchups and more, is this your best pitcher right now, all things being even? And if you think that's Alvarado, good, great. If you're doing it because of matchups, eh, you played yourself. Yeah, it struck me as... Um something that like Joel Sherman from the New York Post is, has sort of described as like a 3 p.m. decision. Like a, they, they sort of made, they sort of thought about it and were like, and that's not to not, like that's not to knock the sure. idea of scripting out a game. Like you should plan for what's going to happen in the game, right? But I think it was it was based on this idea that Wheeler would be compromised and after at a third time through the order, do you want to give up the platoon advantage to, uh, you know, Alvarez 
you know, but he'd thrown 70 pitches. Jeremy Pena had hit a single, which ended up being, was the first ball that the Astros had put in play that had an exit velo over 90 miles an hour. Like they were not making good contact. You know, Wheeler was, was his velocity was holding. And I think he was ready to go get Alvarez. He said he was kind of surprised to be taken out. I probably would have stuck with Wheeler just watching the game, kind of feeling like, hey, I don't, you know, like he kind of hit Maldonado. He hit Maldonado. Maldonado didn't move, but he hit Maldonado. And then Pena hit like a single up the middle. And it's kind of like, well, let's, you know. The issue with relievers is that every time as a manager, when you press a button and you call for a reliever, you run the risk that that guy doesn't have it that day. You just, like, he just might, like, Alvarado in game four came in in a big spot to face, uh, you know, to face Alvarez. And he just, first pitch, just drilled him. You know, and then gives up a hit to Bregman and the game kind of gets out of reach, right? And just, oh, this guy doesn't have it. And then, you know, he comes in to face Alvarez again. He's throwing 99, but he threw a sinker that didn't and just kind of went, you know, middle cut and just got demolished. And, you know, then he – I think he walked Bregman, wild pitch, just didn't have it. You know, just didn't have it. And you just run that risk every time you open up your bullpen. So, like – like with a lot of these things, I always say like I can see it both ways. I, I I get maybe you know they had they had data on Wheeler's stuff that suggested it was declining. You know they they obviously know more about his physical condition than we do. It's just it's these decisions are all kind of jump balls. You know they're all really really you know fifty one forty nine fifty three forty seven and you kind of get crushed when you know things don't go your way and you get lauded as a genius when they do. But that's the job. Right? Like, that's what these guys get paid to do. So, you know, there's only so much sympathy you can have, I guess. I'm not one to quote Family Guy too often. I'm more of a Simpsons guy. But it reminded me of what, my favorite Family Guy bit, which is uh, you can have a boat or you can have what's in the mystery box. And Peter Griffin says, the mystery box. It could be anything. It could be a boat. You know, and then, so when you're talking about Zach Wheeler versus the mystery box of the bullpen... It could be anyone. It could be someone as effective right. as Zach Wheeler. You know, it's, <laughs> right, right, it's right, that, I, right. that's the point you're getting at. I would have stuck with Wheeler there too. The pitch count. I think that's perfect. The 3 a.m. decision because they weren't expecting Wheeler to go that deep. They weren't expecting Wheeler to have the the juice in his arm to look as good as he did. Yeah, you, yeah. You just can't bank on that. So it's like, okay, so if we go get a third time through, you know, like let's go get Zach and you know we'll we'll trust start we'll trust our guys, which like totally get it. You know, like it makes a lot of sense. And if I'm planning out the day, like that's exactly, you know, that makes a ton of sense. But watching the game, you're like, wow, Wheeler looks really good. You know, he look, like this is as good as he looked in a, in a couple weeks. Like, let's, you know, maybe we can squeeze through here. I, you know, it's hard. Like, because if he sticks with him and Alvarez, you know, does what Alvarez often does, then everyone's like, why didn't he go get him? You know, I actually think there will be less. There will probably be less of that, to be honest. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite-free. You see, 
this. A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. When you're talking about a guy with uh, arm fatigue, you can't just assume because he's been great for 70 plus pitches. What if that arm gets fatigued with that one pitch? You know, that one pitch all of a sudden like, oh, there it is. There's the old fatigue. Uh, so if you're thinking that with Wheeler, you got to take that into account. So, yeah, I, I see it both ways. Generally, just hate nitpicking pitching decisions like that without sure. all the information. Like, that's the change. I used to be very comfortable nitpicking, and I just, I'm not anymore. They just know a lot more, and so you defer to their judgment. But it's, again, it's like you you are what your record says you are, you know, in these situations. So when stuff goes awry, it gets questioned. And when stuff goes right, you point out, like, wow, this guy pressed all the right buttons. But all in all, fun World Series. It was a good Yeah, one. Uh, just to, just to uh, dot some I's and cross some T's, Will Smith was on the World Series roster. Oh, okay. Uh, did Jose he play? Uh, I don't <laughs> I don't think he did. Uh, that's wild because, like I said, he was, uh, yeah, he didn't, he, he, didn't fine, pitch. Yeah. he didn't pitch in the World Series and like he was strong. You know, imagine having, <laughs> imagine having Will Smith on your postseason roster and just like, ah, we'll get to you if we need to. Oh, didn't need to. Like that's, man, the Astros. All right. Astros are a very good baseball team. Uh, congratulations to them. Certainly uh, no one can find fault with anything that that organization has done in recent years. Uh, everyone listening to this is very happy for the Astros, I'm sure. But we're going to get buy to- Winning Fixes Everything by Evan Drellick due out uh, <laughs> Valentine's Day 2023. I will say before we move on, like I, this is my hot, not hot take, but my secret shame, I guess, is that I never cared that much about the whole, I just, I don't know what it was about me. Like I never dug into it. I never had strong feelings about the whole scandal when it goes to Carlos Beltran uh, managing the Mets. I didn't have strong feelings about that. I was like dead inside with that whole thing. And I don't know, I feel like I'm the outlier. So I, I, I've, I've shut up about it, but I just, it, it never tickled my uh, fancy. You're definitely the outlier on that one, Grant. I, I think a lot of people did care about the the sign stealing. Hundred percent, 
Hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's. I, I'm just uh, announcing that uh, why I don't bring it up all the time. I just I don't know, man. Um, all right, let's talk about free agency because we uh, we're gonna be going to like an every other weekish schedule going forward on the old roundtable. Um, so we uh, free agency started. Uh, we have players opting out. We have uh, Carlos Rodon has opted out. Uh, I believe uh, uh, Robert Suarez for the Padres has opted out. Hot hot content for a podcast is, is Suarez, but we're gonna. To talk about the bigger Wait, Suarez opted out. Oh, that's I interesting. So. Yeah, oh, wow. I think so. I think it'll be. Uh, I think it'll be popular. Um, wow. Let's just start at the uh, top with uh, uh, Jock Peterson. Where do you think he's going to go? <laughs> no, Aaron Judge. Uh, where's Where's Aaron Judge going to go? Andy McCullough. I got Judge back to the Yankees. It's going to cost uh, a lot more than it uh, would have cost if Judge had accepted that perfectly reasonable extension uh, offer back in April. But, uh, you know, probably will exceed $300 million. Uh, That's really the level that he's definitely pushing forward to, and maybe beyond. So, yeah, but I, I, I would be pretty surprised if the Yankees let him go. If they don't bring him back, I'm not exactly sure what they have to offer there fans and uh you know even then there's gonna there's a lot of discontent with how the season ended and all that sort of stuff but like i yeah they're kind of they're kind of in a rock and a hard place there they kind of need to they kind of need to bring them back both for you know the uh uh, the sort of off the field financial reasons and also because he's a really good player you know and they're they they could use some really good players yeah, I also have Judge going back to the Yankees, but I'll, I'll have just the the asterisk there that maybe he's just tired of New York. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying that as, oh, well, New York is this and the media market is that. Maybe it's just it's sometimes you just don't want to you want to try something new. Maybe you just want a different vibe. Maybe I'm not saying that's the case, but. It's not as simple as the Yankees like sitting there and hemming and hawing and then finally pushing the but- the the get judge back button. Maybe he wants to go to the West Coast. Maybe he wants to go to the Giants. Maybe he wants to play for his hometown team. Uh, that's the team he grew up on every podcast. If I had the bell, I'd ding it. His first number was 35 in honor of Rich Aurelia. That is the sign of a serious Giants that's head. A, that that's is not a sicko. Yeah. yeah, that's not someone growing up and going like, oh, I catch a few games and Barry Bonds hit a home run and whoa, isn't that fun? That's a guy who's like thinking about Rich Aurelia on his free time when he doesn't have to. He's thinking a lot about Rich Aurelia. So maybe there's something there like where I just want to play there. I think it would be really neat. I want to be the first right-handed hitter to hit it in McCovey Cove. So if he's thinking that, that's that. But I don't think he's thinking that. I think it's just a you know, I like the Yankees. I feel a part of the the lore. I feel a part of it. It's got to be really cool to be a part of the lore when you're playing for the Yankees. So I think he goes back to the Yankees myself. Yeah, I mean, the Giants should make a very competitive offer. They should, you know, they need a face of the franchise type, and Judge would fit that bill. I also think if Judge was interested in a short-term, high-dollar deal, uh, you can put him in touch with Andrew Friedman and the Los Angeles Dodgers because they will be there. Hey, if you want to know where you're going to play for the next three years, the Dodgers will compensate you very uh, wisely. If you're Aaron Judge and... uh... Would, like, what would be the one-year deal you would take? Would it be one-year, one hundred and twenty million? Like, I'm just, I'm just goofing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm just goofing, know. but like, I don't think, I don't think three years makes sense for Judge because a lot can happen. That's just too risky. Given his body, I, yeah. given his sort of, given the potential for injury, yeah. I mean, he wants long-term security, which you know He's means get it. yes, there will be. It's going to be a stupid offering. contract. There will, yes, there will be many teams this winter trying to live the John Middleton lifestyle of getting a little bit stupid with spending, I think. 
Yeah. This is like the perfect marriage of uh, a player who should be looking for long-term security because it could all go kerflui really, really quickly. And a player who should excite every team because Trey Turner might be the better player going forward. Like you can make a case where you're projecting the zips out. And no, I'm just I saying like, don't agree. <laughs> no, but if you're, if you're, if you're taking the war and you're projecting out by age and you've got skill set and you've got to this, that, that you can make a case that Trey Turner's the guy, but Trey Turner, he doesn't fit on a billboard. You know, Trey Turner is not someone that gets the casuals out there. Aaron judge is a guy that someone who doesn't like baseball. They've heard of Aaron judge. And if Aaron judge is on the giants, well, maybe I'm going to go down because the giants, their biggest problem right now is that no one's working in the offices anymore in downtown San Francisco. So it used to be you work in the offices, you kick off, you go to a game. That's one of the reasons why they had such great attendance year after year after year. That's gone. So you need a draw. And that's why I think they will be all in on Aaron Judge. It's a matter of does he want to come? Does he want to stay at the Yankees? But I really think that this this goes beyond, well, you know, age 38, is he really going to be worth 40 million? Of course he's not going to be, but you have to put him on a billboard and get butts in the seats. So I said something on Twitter that's getting me yelled at because, um, I've decided to uh, sort of stop pretending that I love every contract and that every contract is great and that, wow, I'm so happy that a player is getting paid. I've decided to just like judge contracts on their merits again because Twitter's dying and so I'm going to be getting yelled at less. But like I pointed out, you know, so Edwin Diaz signed for $100 million uh, for over five years, uh, which is you know, nuts. Like it's just, it's, it's crazy, right? He's a reliever. And what I pointed out is that the Mets are betting that Diaz will remain elite on the front end. He was the best reliever in baseball the last couple of years. And on the back end, that Steve Cohen will still be super rich. So who cares, essentially? <laughs> and maybe I should have framed it that way. I framed it, you know, like Steve Cohen will still be rich enough to not be handcuffed by this or whatever. Fans are like, trust me, Steve Cohen's going to be okay. All right. Do you not understand what a billion dollars is? And it's like, no, I'm, I'm tired of this. Like, I'm just tired of. Anytime you point out that a contract might not look great for a team on the back end because they're playing a payer, pay, play, paying a player a lot of money when they're not very good, that you're anti-labor. I'm just um don't clip this out and don't make this the highlight of the show. I'm just I'm just <laughs> I'm just tired of it. I'm just tired no, of it. Because it's not my fault. Like the owners stopped spending for several years. And so when every time they did spend, you had to be like, oh, yes, finally, finally, you know, someone's trying to win, uh, you know, and now it's just like, OK, the, the, whatever. The contract's fine. Steve Cohen can afford it. All I was saying is that Diaz in four years probably won't be worth 20 million dollars in a, you know, per war basis or whatever it is. Who cares? I'm tired of this. No, it's, I think <sighs> there's there's two different things. And I, I agree with you because it's two different things. You have to, it's not just that Steve Cohen can't afford it. It's that, will he want to? And if you're, if you're thinking, yes, he still will be goofy in a couple years, three years, four years, spending as much as he can going over the luxury tax, then give Edwin Diaz $100 million a year. I don't care. Like, you know, if he's going to keep doing this, then that's his prerogative and go for it, billionaire. But what if he doesn't? Every single owner yes. stops. At yes. Some point. And exactly. maybe Cohen will be the outlier. Well, we'll see. You, you like the Yankees print money. The Yankees have a ton of money. The Yankees are this franchise and they are, they spend, spend, spend. But what if Josh Donaldson's money next year is the reason that they don't get Aaron Judge back? Should it be, man? If I own the Yankees, not. no. Yeah. yeah, you know, but what? You know, you have to consider, like, 
is this money going to prevent something that you really need in the future? If the answer is like, no, 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 we'll just keep going after it, fine, that's great. But I think with the Mets, maybe he will stop spending. Well, my argument was that it won't stop him from spending. Like he in, tw- yeah. in four okay. years, it, it yeah. won't be an issue. But just when you frame it as like there's a limit to what people will spend, like you're anti-labor. Anyway, I'm pro-labor. Trust me, buddy. This, this, uh, this is the only we're the only podcast pro-labor podcast. There. The only one. Everyone else yeah. is you know management stooges. Yeah. Uh, where do you think Degrom's going to end up? Ah, Degrom. I, well, I think uh, the Mets. I think <laughs> I think they're going to get goofy with him. He fits every team, but. This is where maybe Steve Cohen will stop spending at one point. I don't think that one point's going to be this year. And DeGrom's going to want, I'm assuming, a one-year deal with a player option. If he wants to go back to the Mets, who's going to outbid the Mets for a one-year deal for what is possibly the best arm on the market? Uh, I don't see why the Mets would let him go. It would have to be DeGrom saying, eh, done with this place. Let me check out to, I don't know, Minnesota or something. There's definitely a current of belief that he does not want to play with the Mets anymore. Mm, um, and we're okay, going to find so out. You're, yeah, you're plugged in out. to that. Uh, again, that's the sort of thing where, like, maybe you're just tired of playing for the Mets. And, you know. Want to be closer to home. Want to be, you know, whatever. Don't like living in New York. I don't know. He doesn't really, uh, you know, uh, let folks into his thought process. But I think there's going to be a lot of suitors. I'm going to I'm gonna throw, a, I'm gonna throw a, a pretty wild, not that wild, but I'm going to say the Texas Rangers. I'm going to say the Texas Rangers. They got a lot of money to spend. You know, they're looking to get good quick. I'm going to say the Texas Rangers. Just a hunch. Just a hunch. People like playing for Bochi. Bochi's a little bit of a draw now. I, I, I could go with Texas. Uh, I, it's one of those players, uh, DeGrom, where he fits with literally every team. Not, I mean, not the Marlins or something. or But even the Rays. Like, if the Rays want to get just, like, the, the tiniest bit goofy, you know, that sometimes they throw out those, uh, you don't know if they're in great faith offers for, like, Freddie Freeman or something. The Rays have been fairly consistent in recent years in saying, we seriously have money. Seriously, (laughs) we have money. Come play for us. Like, we'll pay you. And the issue is that they are offering – they offered Freddie Freeman a deal that was fairly – if you factor in the taxes or whatever, was fairly – better than what Freeman got with the Dodgers. The issue is that if you're the Rays, you're basically saying like, hey, come play for us in front of 4,000 people or whatever. You know, whereas if you're the Dodgers, it's like come play in front of a packed stadium, blah, blah, blah. You know, but the Rays do have money and the Rays like have been trying to get someone to take it. It's just post Charlie Morton. They haven't really found anyone willing to do it. You know, they, they felt like they were close on DJ LeMayhew. They made a I think it was a good faith offer for Freeman. And again, with DeGrom, if you're interested in a short term pact with a team who has a chance to win it all, the Los Angeles Dodgers would love to take your phone call. They will be in on DeGrom. Uh, I think their payroll is going to go down, the Dodgers. They're they're trying to clear some runway from some of their prospects. But I think for someone like DeGrom, they would be willing to open up the, the checkbook. I will add, uh, before we move on from DeGrom, where the funniest landing place would be. And I think that would be quite clearly the Phillies. I think the <laughs> Phillies with Nola Wheeler DeGrom would be very strong and also, uh, that might cheese off some Mets fans. So I, I think that they could pursue him. Well, obviously the Braves too. Yes. Um, the Braves are the Braves are like I think the Braves are actually a better bet for Justin Verlander 
but I think both are, you know, they'll be in play for both. The, the Braves tend to have a little bit more of a, of a leash on what they're willing to do financially. And so I, I don't know if they'll be able to get into the, like, $48 million AAV or whatever it is, you know, DeGrom may end up getting. But I think for Verlander, who would be maybe probably in the 30s still, um, they could, you know, the Braves would make some sense. Let's go to Justin Verlander. Where you think Braves? Is that going to be? Yeah, your... sure. Let's say the Braves. Yeah, why not? I'm going to go Giants. I'm going to go. I think that's where they they're not going to get Judge. I think they're going to miss out on on Trey Turner. I think they're still going to want to spend that money. They've got uh, Pete Putella as their new GM. He came from the Astros. He's going to know uh, what's under the hood there. I just I have a feeling Verlander with the Giants. Uh, but I, like, do you ever go back and read MLB trade rumors? They do a great job, and but you read their the uh, predictions. predictions. Yeah, they, they'll get one or we two right. We, yeah. we have no idea. Yeah, we just have no idea. It, it's fun. The, the way dominoes fall, right? Like it just if you had come into last off season, you, you would have been like, who's the most likely player? Like what's the what's the one deal you'll bet on? It's like oh the Braves re-signing Freddie Freeman. Yes, <laughs> you know, like, and then obviously we saw what happened. Uh, the one thing with Verlander, the Giants, and I don't want to upset you, but Verlander's big thing is going to be going for three hundred wins, and so he's going to want to play on as good a team as possible. I think, and I'm not sure the Giants fit that mold just yet. Even if like I think they will be better than they than they showed in uh, 22. I just think playing in that division. Uh, that makes it tougher. Let's go back to the history books a little bit. You're talking about a guy in his 40s going for his 400 or 300th win. <laughs> uh, the Giants have that. That's Randy Johnson, man. They have it. They can go to him and say, we got Randy as 300. It's a totally, it's the exact same situation. Don't look at anything else. It's a great pitch, and I think they should try it. I think that's, you know, if I was had to talk to Farhan Zaidi and Pete Patilla, that's what I would lead with. Uh, let's do lightning round of the lightning rounds. Carlos Correa. Dodgers, why not? Wow, I like it. That well, I mean, I don't like it, but I I think that's a that's a. So where would he? So he's the Trey Turner replacement. Yeah, he plays shortstop. Yeah, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Uh, probably you know, not. Ke- I don't know. Probably not. You know, the, uh, Keith Law, uh, our own Keith Law, ranked free agents uh, the top fifty, and Correa was the number one. Uh, on his list, in part because he's still young. He's still wildly young. You know, he's uh, great defensively. Uh, Was he 28? He's going to be getting that contract he thought he was going to get last year. Why not the Dodgers? I think I think that makes sense. Uh, I'm going to throw a dart, and I'm going to say uh, Yankees. Uh, I think that they they are going to want Judge, but they're also going to want someone to shore up that shortstop position, which was in flux as recently as this postseason. I don't know. I'm going to go Yankees. Makes sense. All right. Okay. What about uh, Bogarts? Bogarts. I I think the Red Sox. I think it it's the Red Sox are. Look, they have to lock up Devers. They have maybe not unlimited funds, but the Mookie Betts trade, that still leaves a a, a taste in one's mouth. And if you're going to let Bogarts go... I don't know. I just think that that's a that's a bridge too far for a lot of fans. I mean, obviously they'll, they'll still get the crowds and they'll still have Red Sox fans, but the noise and the chirping would be pretty darn loud. I don't know who you replace Bogarts with. You know, maybe if they swap him out for Carlos Correa. Listen, they, when Nomar Garcia Parra left and they won a World Series, no one really cared about Nomar Garcia Parra leaving anymore. So winning solves everything. But I I think he goes back to the Red Sox. I'll tell you who they they swap him out with is Trevor Story. 
Oh my gosh, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, I'll go with the Giants for Bogarts. Okay, that it, and that's it, uh, you know predicated on not getting Judge most likely. Like I think he makes some sense, and Correa maybe being the waiting period on Correa because of well you know Scott Boris has both guys and he knows how to play the you know the three dimensional chess. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how he. It's going to be a fun year for Boris. I mean, it's always fun when Boris has the market. You know, we get to see the state of the Boris address, the GM meetings, yes, the winter meetings. So he gets to do the metaphors. Like, it's fun. He's in, he's he's pure entertainment, and he gets good value for his clients. So uh, looking forward to that. Yeah. All right. One last one, I think. Uh, Trey Turner. Where do you think Trey Turner is going to go? I am going to stick with what has been sort of the general idea from the summer on. And this is no offense to Bryson Stott, but I will say the Phillies. Yeah, that's where I was going to go. And honestly, when I was watching the World Series, I had this whole take in my head about how Bryson Stott is like he's like a glue player. Like there were so many plays he made that if he didn't make that, if there were one, if he were someone slightly worse at shortstop, things would have gone sideways for the Phillies. It seemed like I was always looking up and he was getting the third out on a pretty slick play. But yeah, I think I think when you have a chance to go uh, for someone like Trey Turner, you go for someone like Trey Turner. I will say he fits better than all the other uh, middle infielders on the Giants. I don't think they'll get him, but I think you can move Trey Turner to, sh- to second base. I think it's coming, where it's not necessarily coming for Correa. It's not coming as quickly for Bogarts. I think Turner's like on the fence, like, okay, he can still play short, but maybe he fits better. And so that gives the Giants a year with Brandon Crawford at short. But I don't know. I think he's going to the Phillies. I think that's that's right. You can play Turner at in the center field. You can play him at second base. Uh, that would free them up to maybe, you know, they can maybe move Gene Segura. They can pick up his, you know, they have a team option on Gene Segura for like $17, 18000000 million, which like it's a bit pricey for Gene Segura, but you can maybe try and pick it up and move him. Um, you know, there's ways to there's ways to make it work, I think. He's still, it's still a fit even and it keeps Stott in the lineup. You know, you can play Stott at second base too. Um, there's lots of different ways to, to make it work. The funniest, uh, we'll leave on this, the funniest idea for me that this is possible is the Dodgers signing Judge and moving Mookie Betts to second base. I think that oh is the Lord. funniest oh idea that I've heard because they can do it. It's just goofy. It's just Mookie That's Betts. Just, yeah. And then what, Muncie plays third base, right? As the as the Turner reply. I mean, who knows, man? The Dodgers, I, I, I'd have to really spend a lot of time looking at the Dodgers and talking to people about their farm system before I, I I've just been I've been so wrapped up in postseason stuff um, that I haven't really given too much thought to like what they should do. You know, there's sort of like chatter about trying to figure out a way to trade for an elite arm um, rather than sign an elite arm because they definitely need a number one starter. So I think they're going to be in the mix for that. But I, who knows what the Dodgers are going to do. Remember 17 years ago when the Dodgers uh, got beat by the Padres in the postseason? How did that happen? That legitimately feels like six months ago. (laughs) Yeah, it does. I just, well, all right. This has been episode, what did I say, 32? Who cares? Yeah, this has been an episode of the Baseball Roundtable. We will be back in a couple weeks, and we'll talk. You think anyone's going to sign between now and then, or can we do Actually, like? Yeah, I mean, I think with the uh, the, the some of the dates got moved up because the lockout, so I think it's going to be a little bit quicker. Of a you know, stuff's going to start happening. 
we'll come back and we'll like be talking Chris Bassett predictions. If not, I don't, we started the season with Chris Bassett predictions, and uh, <laughs> we'll end with it. We are like a week away from Alex Anthopoulos doing his annual like, all right, I'm just going to F up this market with a one-year deal. You know, <laughs> like I, I want this player. I'm paying him $4 million more than the market says he's worth. And everything's going to freeze after this. You know, that's just his, his annual tradition of kicking off the offseason. So I look forward to that. All right. Good stuff. Thank you for listening. We will see you then.